at the foot of the cross a monthly podcast from the catholic bishops conference of england and wales Well, hello and welcome to At the Foot of the Cross, our monthly podcast from the Secretariat of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. And actually, we've had something of a month off, but not from the work, just from the podcast. It's been extremely busy, so we've used April to recalibrate, I would say. Since we last spoke, our bishops have met for their spring plenary. We've had a coronation, which I'm sure hasn't escaped your attention. First time in 70 years, of course. A bit of Catholic content in there, but I'm sure I'll come on to that later on in this podcast. We had the day of prayer for the victims and survivors of abuse. That was on Tuesday, the 9th of May. And on top of that, we've just had the International Day of Prayer for Eastern Christians. That's not all in May. We look ahead to World Communications Day on Sunday, the 21st of May, which actually is also the start of the global week of prayer for China. So, Much is happening in May. And later in the podcast, we'll bring you an interview from Bishop John Arnold, because our focus is World Communications Day. He is our media bishop, Salford-based appropriately, near BBC's Media City. So we'll be hearing from Bishop John a little bit later on. But now we will be hearing from our General Secretary, Canon Chris Thomas, who's sitting directly opposite me. I can see your enthusiasm, Canon Chris. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, James. It's always good to be with you. There's a theme of communication in mm. uh, this in this podcast because um, I was in Dowie Abbey, just outside of Reading, and uh, we celebrated while I was there this the Feast of St. Philip and St. James. And this made me think about what we're about because the mission of the apostles is really what we are continuing, each one of us, in our discipleship of the Lord. And I always appreciate these feasts where uh, of the apostles where we celebrate two because it sort of echoes the beginning of the mission when Jesus sent them out in pairs. So, uh, you know, when we have Simon and Jude and Philip and James, even to an extent Peter and Paul, uh, we don't know whether these people work together, but the fact is we do know that they were sent in pairs. And why did they do that? Well, they did it because, first of all, Jesus sent them. But more importantly, Jesus had method. He was a good teacher. And not only would they learn from each other in terms of the proclamation of the message, but they would be actual, actually modelling Christian living themselves. So in the times of difficulty, they would be able to express in their living together the fortitude and perseverance that a disciple needs. Um, in times of difficulty, they would have to show love and forgiveness. So they're modelling the message of the gospel not only to the people that they encounter, but also to each other and trying to improve each other. And of course, when they returned, they returned joyful. But the first thing that Jesus did was to take them away for a period of reflection so that they could think about what they had done and what they had achieved in their mission. And so there's always mission tempered with prayer. And I think that that's a very, very important part of our ministry in the church in England and Wales today. But it's the church which is important because it's the church is the organ that actually transmits the message of Jesus to the world. And when we look in the Acts of the Apostles, as we're reading in Mass at at the moment, there are the four marks of the early church. They were faithful to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship and communion together, to the breaking of bread and prayer. What is preached is the risen Christ. When we go into our churches at the moment, the Paschal candle stands ablaze with its beautiful light lit on that Easter vigil. It's not a principle that we are preaching, it's not laws, it's not a book, it is a person. And when we're in communion with Jesus, we actually encounter him. 
and then he enfolds us in the life of the church, which confirms our vocation, which draws the Holy Spirit out of us in a very, very powerful way and encourages us in our mission. So when we look, for instance, at St. Philip, when we look at him, he is always somebody who brings people to Jesus. Hmm. So he brought his friend Nathaniel. He brings a boy with two fish and five loaves. And then there's those inquiring Greeks who want to see Jesus just in the before the passion begins in, in John chapter 12. Philip is always bringing people to Jesus. And that's our task as well, to bring people to Jesus. So how do we do that today? Well, we were thinking about this at the bishop's plenary meeting. We talked about a lot of things at this plenary meeting, um, a lot of things in train. A lot of things have already started, but we needed to deepen our understanding of. So I suppose the first thing I want to say is that we were talking about a synodal church, because if we're going to transmit the message of our Lord Jesus Christ into the world, we have to do it in a way that has structures and means that are appropriate to our time. And one of the things that the bishops did was to review what they've learned from all of those diocesan reflections that took place well over a year ago now, learned from the synod document that was prepared from the assembly in Prague, along with the other six continental documents. And what did we learn? Well, there were so many things that came up, but key, I would say, is first of all, the importance of the Eucharist in the life of the church and how the Eucharist gathers people together. Go back to those four marks of the church from Acts 2.42. You know, the breaking of bread is central to the life of the early church. It is still central to our life as well. But also the formation of people to be confident Catholics in today's world is important as well. Formation. What do people need to learn so that they are confident to speak about their faith? Because we're speaking into a context which doesn't really understand us. It's a difficult thing to understand. And so people need not only to have the content of faith in terms of their formation, but they also need to be accompanied. Remember, Philip accompanied the eunuch on mm. the way to his baptism and explained the suffering servant song to him in the chariot, and then there was water and he was baptised. So we need people to accompany each other on this journey of faith. And so spiritual accompaniment and the accompaniment of each of us in that journey of deepening our relationship through that encounter with Christ. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they were walking not alone, they walked together, but Jesus came up at the side of them and began to explain things to him, formed them, so that when they recognised him in the breaking of bread again, they were enthused by the Spirit to go back and say what had actually happened to them. We've got the Eucharist, we've got the supporting of people, and we've got the joy of our Christian vocation as well. And we express that joy through giving of our abilities to the church, our talents. And certainly, you know, one of the things that has come through, not only in, in the Dorsesan synthesis, in our national synthesis, in the um, continental synthesis, is the way in which everybody has a part to play in the church. And we cannot neglect anybody. So particularly the role of women in the church, that's come through very, very strongly. Yeah. And when we look at how we are today, you know, to look at the way in which we engage with the world, we've got to look at what is our true mission. Because we have to do it that way. Mission will always define our structures, not the other way around, because then we become trammeled. Jesus didn't have structures. He sent them out. He didn't even tell them where to go. He just said go. And they went to the towns and the villages and they came back and they were delighted in the work that had been achieved through them. In the same way, we've got to define our true mission to proclaim the word of 
God to the world, to proclaim Christ risen, ascended and glorified in the power of the Spirit to the world, and then to adapt our structures so that we are doing our best in terms of that mission. I think this is all very, very important, and it's something that the bishops were reviewing, were looking at in terms of the way in which they are looking forward now, not only to the the synod of bishops that will take place in Rome in October, but more importantly, to go back to their diocese with the richness that they've already gleaned and to say, well, how can we modify these things? How can we change so that we're more effective in the mission of the church? No, absolutely. And I think, as you said at the very start when you were talking about Philip and James, it did make me think as I hurtle towards my 22nd wedding anniversary. You mentioned the challenges. I thought that was rather delicately put. And I'd never really thought about it before. You know, Jesus sending them out in twos. I mean, they might not get on, might they? No, there's no evidence to say that Philip and James worked together. But what we do know is that they went out in pairs that pairing would have been the sort of sounding board for each other, learning, deepening the relationship with each other and with the Lord in mission. And of course it then has that relevance, doesn't it? Because we don't all get on all the time, whether we live on our own, whether we live with a husband or wife or or in a community. There are those points of tension, those difficulties, those bumps in the road to get over. So it's a, it applies as much today as it did back in, in the Apostles. Yeah, and, 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 you know, when you look at... I mean, I always take the example of St. Peter and St. Paul, another pair of apostles that we celebrate. Now, they didn't work together at that point of mission because obviously Paul had, had not uh, received his divine commission at that point. But they had incredibly different views of how the mission should take place. St. Peter to the Jews and St. Paul to the Gentiles. And to be honest, they would never have gone on holiday with each other, I don't think. But they loved each other in Christ because they were passionate about the mission. Mm. What is the important thing? You know, we've got to work with each other. We are a family of the baptised and we've got to work together in order to proclaim Christ to the world. This is one of the key things, I think, that this synodal process is teaching us, is let us go back to what is the true mission of the church. Because remember, communion, participation and mission is all part of being a synodal church. Yeah, and that crosses over into even Pope Francis' communications message. Yes. Because, you know, one needs to listen before speaking. One needs to, as he says, speak from the heart. And that, I think, or this is the way I interpreted it, has that that big thing that Pope Benedict used to talk about as well. Being authentic, being yourself. Don't hide behind a particular persona or something that isn't you, particularly social media and some of the modern communications tools. And and that's an important aspect as well, isn't it? The language we use, how we're open and transparent and manage those expectations. These are all part of, of how we communicate the mission of the church, aren't they? Yes, and the authentic witness of the gospel by each individual is what is attractive because it's how we have taken the message of the gospel and interiorize it within ourselves and how we then express it to the world is the key. There is the that famed statement of St. Francis to his brothers, go out and preach the gospel and if you have to use words, because the witness that we give is much more important. And it comes through the modelling of the Christian community in our own lives to look at those ideas of fortitude and perseverance and difficulty, love and forgiveness in challenge. Yeah, no, totally. And I have to say, as a Franciscan, a lay Franciscan, I can appreciate the use of St. Francis. And I don't know if you saw, actually, Cardinal Vincent attended mm. the St. Francis exhibition at the National Gallery. Yes, I believe there were wolves there, which, which, was, extraordinary. which, was, which was extraordinary. But uh, the Cardinal did say to me that it was absolutely fantastic. And he said it's well worth visiting. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to, to what the bishops were talking about, pastoral accompaniment was one of the things that came through. And we've got a, a conference uh, this summer in Liverpool Hope University 
University, which is run by our Secretariat, the Directorate for Mission. And uh, Archbishop Marco O'Toole of Cardiff, the lead bishop for evangelization, will be the keynote speaker at this conference, which will be about pastoral accompaniment. Also, tying in, because, you know, you accompany, but as Jesus did on the road to Emmaus, you accompany, but you form. So there will be the whole idea of catechesis and pastoral accompaniment and how the two are essential tools for evangelization in today's world. And so there's there's information about that on our website, which is one of the things that we're looking forward to this conference in the summer. And then going a little bit further on in the summer, there will be the World Youth Day gathering in Lisbon with the theme Rise Up. And mm. I, I was thinking about, about this theme of, of rise up. Why did Mary rise up so quickly? Now, if you think about the story, the, the angel Gabriel has come to Mary and he's given the Annunciation. And there's a very important phrase, you know, he, he talks about Elizabeth. Now, if in the story you know that Elizabeth hasn't told anybody that she's pregnant and Zachariah can't because he's, he's mute, you know, his tongue has been taken away from him. So Mary rises up and goes to her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country of Judea. She rises up not only because of probably the help that Elizabeth will need if she's about to have a child, but more importantly to confirm her own vocation. She goes with clear purpose and with that evangelical charitable spirit so that she goes for both of those things. And when she enters the house of Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit enters Elizabeth and makes the child leap in her womb. And she says, why am I being blessed by a visit to the mother of my Lord? And then we have the wonderful singing of the Magnificat by Mary. Purpose, clear purpose, and evangelical charity and spirit. And this is what we see all the time with our young people. And I think the Holy Father is going to affirm them in that ministry. The place I see it par excellence is Lourdes, when you know, hundreds of young people go to assist the old. Why do they go? They go because they want to have that clear purpose of ministry to them, but also the invigoration of the Holy Spirit in charity and love, which is so important. So we, we look forward to World Youth Day and all of our young people going out to Lisbon to encounter each other there and to learn from each other and to also have catechesis to give content to their faith so that they are more confident in their Catholicism. And I think also when you talk about that service, and certainly we see this in Lourdes, it seems obvious, but it's a lesson to learn that actually when you serve someone else or help someone else, you benefit tenfold yourself, don't you? Indeed. Yeah, it's so true. And this is, is, is part and parcel of the Christian teaching. Uh, St. Ignatius said, you know, we give without counting the cost. It is in our generosity to others that we die to the selfishness that is so often within us. And we open ourselves up to that spirit of love that God has poured into our hearts. World Youth Day is a really important thing this summer. So we pray for all of our young people who are going on the pilgrimage and for all those who will accompany them as well. May they model that rising up with clear purpose and with charity and love and invigorating spirit that Mary experienced when she had her renunciation from the angel Gabriel. And then we looked a little bit further on. We looked at the International Eucharistic Congress that will take place in Quito in Ecuador next year. International Eucharistic Congresses are important moments where we, the Church focuses on the Eucharist. And as, one, as the Eucharist was one of those things that came out in the Synod discussions as being key to our life, it's important for us to join with Christians around the world who will be celebrating the International Eucharistic Congress. And so it's our desire in this country to actually have something 
that will echo the spirit of Quito and the love for the Eucharist in this country whilst the Eucharistic Congress is taking place in September in 2024. Now, you know what I'm going to say. I'm going to look back to 2018 and Adoramus. Is that the type of model you're thinking of or something different? It, it's similar. It won't be the size of Adoramus, but it will have the same sorts of elements. But uh, uh, we will be looking to moving that forward over the next few months and hopefully get something very concrete together towards the November plenary of the bishops. And irrespective of size, I have to say, one of the most moving things for me about Adoramus, there were some great podium speeches, not taken away from those, was that very rainy Eucharistic procession. Yes. I mean, it's very moving, wasn't it? It was. And I can remember um, I was up at the top of the steps outside the cathedral at the end of the procession. And, you know, there were so many people there. And yet there was absolute silence when we knelt in the presence of the Lord. And we just celebrated the Eucharist in the cathedral. And, you know, Liverpool Cathedral is a very lovely, beautiful cathedral. You know, we'd walked the streets with the Lord and the rain was falling on us. And, you know, I mean, rain, in, you know, is seen as a sign of grace sometimes. But yes, the rain falling on us, it was so important. We had that witness in Liverpool. So we will do something. We're in the very, very early planning stages of this. But it is important that we do something. And you know what? I'm going to finish by circling back because we were talking about communications and communications has been that thread running through this at the foot of the cross. But I think back to our our friend and colleague of of past times, Abbot Christopher Jamison. And when you mentioned being at the top of the steps outside Liverpool's Metropolitan Cathedral, I too, you know, I'd been doing the filming and then we all fell silent, didn't we? It didn't matter if we had a so-called job to do. We were silent in front of the Lord, quite literally. And I remember Abbot Jamison talking about the communication's power in silence. It might seem like a sort of um, contradiction in terms, but there is a power of, of communication in silence, isn't there? There is. And one of the paradoxes is when you talk about the power of silence, you have to destroy it in order to actually discuss it. Uh, because obviously my words are now destroying the silence of this studio. I think that this is a challenge for today's world, for today's church, is to be comfortable with silence. When we sit in silence, we are opening ourselves up to God because we are sacrificing that time from doing to simply being in his presence. And silent prayer, that reflective moment where we sit and we just open ourselves up to the Lord is so important. And to do it in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I remember a a Dominican friend of mine who is at Blackfriars in, uh, in Oxford saying to me, when I go to exposition, I switch off my intellectual faculty, and I just sit there and allow the Lord to love me. And I think that's beautiful. You are not trying to verbalise anything in the mind, but you are simply sitting and gazing at the one who loves you beyond compare, and you love him back. That's the essence of that silence and that opening of the heart to the world. Remember, I always say the best definition of prayer comes from our dear saint, St John Henry Newman, Corad Corloquitur, the heart speaking to heart. When we pray, we slow our heartbeat down to the heartbeat of God and we allow the two heartbeats to talk to each other rather than lifting the heart and mind to God because that implies that God is out there whereas God is actually in here. And I like to think when I pray that it's the sitting down and it's the slowing down of the heartbeat so that my heart begins to speak to God and in words that I may not even understand because it doesn't require words. Beautiful and very well said. And intentionally or not, you've brought us straight back to Pope Francis' message for World Communications Day, speaking from the heart. Canon Christopher Thomas, as always, thank you ever so much for a wonderful contribution. Thanks very much, James. At the foot of the cross, 
a monthly podcast from the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales. Very many thanks to our General Secretary, Canon Christopher Thomas, who spoke very eloquently there, from the heart. And as I said just a minute or so ago, this takes us right back to the central theme of Pope Francis' World Communications Day message, speaking with the heart, the truth in love. So, appropriately, it's time to hear from one of our bishops, the Bishop of Salford, John Arnold. Bishop John is our lead bishop for communications, and with artificial intelligence, chatbots and the like all over the news, we spoke about the need to embrace emerging technologies with an ethical mind to ensure human beings don't suffer on the path to progress. But first, the obvious question to a certain extent, why is it important we speak the truth from the heart? Well, I think uh, truth is something that is so important to us. We can communicate in different ways, but very often we compromise on the truth by either a lack of information or a biased opinion, or we can make a real mess of the truth. But what we've got to be dealing with always is that search for the truth, because it's in truth that we make our real progress, where we understand the world in which we live where we can find that sense of loving those around us and meeting their real needs. How important is it, do you think, that we have a truthful media? Oh, it's essential. Once we lose the truth in the media, then we can be led in all sorts of different directions. People can be condemned for things they haven't done or said or for what they believe. Uh, And we can be entirely distracted if we're searching for the truth then we've got that possibility of real purpose and progress and we've got to be able to identify fake news and put it to one side. And it's very important that we continually on guard to make sure that what we say is substantiated by the facts. And of course there is that that din as the Pope calls it, you know, with that always on digital world. How do you think we can sift through those things of meaning versus those things that are a little bit superficial or we can doom scroll our way through? How how do we sort of literally sift through and get at that quality of information? I think we've got to have those long-term objectives, those signposts that we can constantly use to measure so that we can find something and identify it as being completely off the mark and really nothing to do with what we're talking about or trying to bend our opinions away from what we're trying to achieve uh, and to see clearly. It's those uh, simple principles, you know. It's like going back to the gospel and asking what's the most important commandment of the law, to love your Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. The second resembles it, to love your neighbour as yourself. And how important it is that we've always got that sense of the good of others in all our discussions and searching for the truth, that we're careful not to in any way persecute or damage other people uh, when we're trying to find the way forward in our fast developing world. I like that. I like that idea of this, the simplicity of our principles and, and how we can literally just chop through all the noise. Now, just tell me, though, when it comes to media professionals, the overwhelming number of media professionals working in the industry are committed to that truth. And they sometimes do a very difficult job under very difficult circumstances. What sort of words of support and affirmation would you have for them? Well, I think they do a a very important job by informing people of truth, because we need that sense of communication 
as Pope Francis says, everything's connected and we need to have that vision. All of us, yes, most people have much more limited sense of understanding and knowledge of things, but we've got to be sure that in all ways we're trying to look for the truth in what we're considering so that we know a way of developing and encouraging one another to the future. And media professionals are so important. They've got the wonderful challenge and the privilege of communicating truth. And yes, they'll be criticised, I'm sure, and people will try and twist what they say, but we've got to be sure that we hold on to the truth because once we're distracted from it, all sorts of things can begin to go wrong to the detriment of so many people. Now, also, you talked about those simple principles. Another one that comes forward in not only this papal message, but the the one before, is that need to listen before speaking out in truth. How important is that phase of listening? Because not a lot of listening seems to happen these days in our busy lives. No, there's, uh, I think the reaction comes far too quickly in many cases, and we've got to stop listen to everything that we can that draws us to a possible conclusion so that we're not imposing our own understanding on a very limited source of information, some of which may be very mistaken. But if we're trying to take into account everything that we can to seek the truth, then we come out with a balanced argument at the end, which is so much more valuable. And just a final word on technology because I'm thinking of that Second Vatican Council document, Inter Marifica, 60 years on actually, very much advocated for using the technology of the time at the service of social communications. I'm a little bit conflicted here because I can look at a lot of the noise being made and a lot of the positive words being said about artificial intelligence, for instance, and AI chatbots and how they can you know, take all the available information, turn it into uh, a sensible analysis of any given subject, really. So what's your view of technology on the one hand being very positive and helping us communicate, and on the other hand, that need to just put it under the microscope a bit and ethically make sure we're not running ahead of ourselves or impacting upon the human in in a negative way? Well, I think you've answered the question there. The, The modern means of technology are very important and how fortunate we are to have the science that allows us to communicate in that way. But there are certain boundaries and we've got to be very careful not to allow artificial intelligence to begin making up steps of truth which it believes through its electronic ways to be the next step. We've got to be sure that we retain the ethics and the morality of good communication within our own thinking minds and not just leave it to a machine to tell us what things are and how truth is to be communicated. We must hold on to the limits of truth for ourselves. And last question, in terms of what we should pray for on this day, on World Communications Day, what would you say would be a good focus for our prayers? I think that uh, truth and that sense of sensitivity in communicating truth to people with that sense of love for their well-being, which will often include criticism, but criticism can be constructive and done with a sense of charity, and we can always speak the truth with that sense of good purpose, and that, I think, should be behind our prayers in Communication Sunday this year. Bishop John Arnold, our lead Bishop for Communications, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.
Well, that's a wrap for May's At the Foot of the Cross. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Be assured that the work here at the Secretariat of the Bishops' Conference never stops, so we'll be back with the latest very soon indeed. In the meantime, do take care, and at the risk of sounding a little bit Hugh Edwards, bye for now.